Restaurant Unstoppable episode 560 with Zane and Brandon Hunt. Just do something. Stop. Shut up and do something. You know, like even if it's selling slices on the corner on on, on a Friday night, or just do something. You're, you're not doing anything. Sick of talking about it. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become. Unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicsuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. Cashflow. It's something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month month go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest zane and brandon hunt zane brandon my guys are you feeling unstoppable today uh, i i feel pretty unstoppable i, I do that's zane on the mic <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm pretty good I, I will say, hey, you know, you know why we feel unstoppable? What? Truthfully, not to be cheesy, because we have each other. Oh, that was a little cheesy. No, but, but that's uh, true. <laughs> individually, because what it is is we, individually, sometimes I, I'm not up for it, and so individually, sometimes he's not up for it. We em- we embrace the cheese yes. here at Restaurant Unstoppable. So Zane and Brandon Hunt hail from Detroit, Michigan. They came to Austin almost ten years ago with the idea to open a pizza joint. In 2011, they started where they could with a mobile food trailer. They named Via 313 Pizza. Their vision was to offer the first Detroit style option out side of Detroit, and it uh, it didn't take long for their native Detroit-style pizza to take center stage within the Austin community. One trailer became a multiple trailers, and by 2014, the works opened their first brick-and-mortar location was in motion. Today, Via 313 operates two trailers in three brick-and-mortar locations. You guys are crushing it. I cannot wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today, but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra Zane's pointing to Brandon. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, If you can't change your people, change your people. If you can't change your people, change your people, dive into that. You know, my boss told me a long time ago uh, when I was working with him, he said, you're going (laughs) to, I don't even know. I can't even dive into that. That's just it. (laughs) Is that where you learned it from one of your bosses? Yeah. He was the king of the one-liners. So what's, what's the, what's the lesson in that quote? If you can't change your people, change your people. The, the thing that I always got from him was that these, these employees that are just, just good enough 
to get by, but not fire. Uh, those are the people that will kind of suck the life out of your company. That becomes the standard. That becomes the, your culture. That that becomes your rea- your uh, reality. Yeah. I think we got Zane shaking his head over here. I think he wants to get on the mic. Well, it's it it gets right into that. Um, you want A players. You want B players. The C players, the the ones that Brandon is speaking about. Those are the those are the ones that they they're just good enough to hang around, but they're also not taking your operation to the next level and themselves to the next level. Mm. These are the kind of people that never get promoted, for instance. Mm, I love so. it. Great way to get this thing started. So let's start where it all started with you guys. I guess you guys have your own uh, storylines, uh, but you came from the same place, Detroit, Michigan. Um, when did the idea of going to business together come into frame? Was this something you guys always thought of as children or was it later on in life? Take it from wherever it makes sense. Yeah, I, growing up, we both uh, thought like entrepreneurs. We we talked like uh, we would do something together someday. And as kids, it could be something as simple as like uh, we we both collected baseball cards. So it's like, well, we could open a baseball card store and sit around and talk sports and deal with baseball cards. But you know, it's not going to be very profitable. But there were there were people back home in our neighborhoods that ran places like that. And I, I, not that we necessarily looked up to them, but we thought, well, they, they can do it. We could do it. So that was, that was an early idea. I don't know. We've, we've talked about doing, I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but that, that was one of the early things we talked about. But then as we got older, we, you know, our lives moved in different directions. And I think we lost sight of the fact that we, as teenagers or even younger had talked about maybe running a business together. Uh, Brandon at a young age started surrounding himself and asking the kind of questions of those people that were having success that you would as a a young mind that's interested in being an entrepreneur. He started doing that at a really young age. I mean, how old were you? You like with, um, I'm trying to think. I'm going to date myself here. This was before email. This was, uh, I was probably 15 and I would uh, handwrite letters to different pool halls because I wanted to open up a pool and uh, only one person wrote back George Marveso <laughs> at the electric stick in Westland, Michigan. And uh, it was the nicest pool hall out of all of them too. So that was a perfect situation. And he just said, uh, you dropped out of school. You're not going to school anymore. You're not doing anything. You're not working. Why would I waste my time helping you? And he gave me two books and I, I know we're going to probably get into this, but <laughs> He gave me two books to read, and I think that was the test. I'll, I'll, I'll spend time with you if you... Uh... I think the, the mic is dripping. Uh-oh. <laughs> I didn't crank it down. There we go. Sorry. A little Yeah, that, that was the homework. Do read these two books and then come back to me, and I'll take you serious if, if you take it serious. And uh, we'll I get love, into the books later. Well, I, well, we'll get into the books later, but I love that story, and I think that... We need more of that in today's society. I, I, I'm honestly not really much of an advocate for the traditional school system mm-hmm. or that path. Uh, I think that path is something that was made up a few hundred years ago. And the way we're used to learning is by going to people who are doing what we're doing and learning from them and mentoring and getting in. That's the way it should be. It's more organic. And I love that you did that. Um, we can learn so much. So what advice do you have for somebody who wants to take that approach of just approaching people in their community? I, For me, it's it's just overwhelming that how helpful people are you know we even still today we we take we took uh the guy from torchy's tacos out to lunch uh 
taking out home slice, just trying to surround yourself with uh, people that are doing stuff that you want to be on their level. Yeah. And that, that information is free. We just had Leslie on the show yesterday and even she said, Oh, the guys from, you know, Brandon approached me uh, when they moved to the city mm-hmm. because of this, this community that I created. And he just came to me asking for advice on how to uh, do what I did. And, and you never know where you're going to learn something. So ask everybody, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Zane, you're shaking your head. Do you want to add anything to the conversation? No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, if somebody's doing something that you want to do, uh, more than like, and they're having success, more than likely they're going to share. Most people are open books. Yeah, and it's and, some- and what it is is I would say though is when we were growing up, we didn't know a lot of people that were like that. We came from a very blue collar neighborhood. Most people worked in factories, or they were going to become auto- automotive engineers. There wasn't a lot of uh, entrepreneurial spirit around us. So as kids, I, I don't think we ever thought that we could surround ourselves with people that were having a lot of uh, success running their own businesses. I think it was really eye-opening for the first couple times we met people that were in the industry having success. We were almost um, intimidated to ask questions. But then when we started to ask questions, we found out, man, these people are open books. They'll tell us anything. Yeah. And, and, and it, it still holds true. It is true. And it's the people that are that tend to be most successful are the ones that are usually the most willing to give away their knowledge. And that's why they're where they're at because of the people they've been able to surround themselves with because of their, their generosity. And I, and I think those, those people have the same stories, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to other people They they've reached out to other people for advice. And so they almost feel like they owe it, you know, that they got to give back. So I think we've drove home our point. I'm curious though, after I mean, we can talk about the two books now. We can re- we can bring them up again later. What were the two books? I'm curious. You got the, me really curious. The two books were uh, The Richest Man in Babylon and Think and Grow Rich. Oh, yeah. some good ones there. So uh, what were the lessons you, you drew from that book? Well, you know, and again, and at 15, those are, those are some tough reads, reads yeah. when you're 15. <laughs> yeah. But it opened my eyes up to, you know, because again, in high school, you know, you, you're forced to read whatever they make you read. I don't, I don't even remember because I didn't read it, but... Uh, and it just never kept my attention, you know, and to sit down and read Think and Grow Rich. And this is like, this is everything that read, you know, it speaks to me. It's everything that I want to know. It's, it sounds funny, but it's just about being a better person, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we never learned those life lessons. We didn't have parents that showed us that stuff. So it was really eye opening for me. Yeah. So you read, did you read the two books to go back to him after? You yeah. Read okay. Yeah. He was extremely helpful. Um, was he surprised that you came back after reading? Yeah. Books? Yeah. I don't think he took me very serious. Did he, did he test you at all? We we're like, okay. And then what'd you learn? <laughs> yeah. And, and it was, again, it was just about life lessons, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, uh, so after getting in the door with this guy, what lessons did he teach you beyond the books? You know, his thing was, is that there's, again, the same thing we're talking about. There's so many people out there that will help you, whether it's with money, with uh, advice, with just pointing in the right direction, managing people. There's people out there for all of that. So you don't need to know all that, you know, and that was the biggest thing because you feel overwhelmed because you're like, I don't, I don't know how to fill out tax forms and I don't know how to do, uh, you know, how to, what pool tables to buy. This is what we were talking about. It's like. There's people out there that do that stuff for you. You don't yeah. even need to worry about it. You know, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Yeah. Right? It's like how this and that's goes. pretty much what he did. <laughs> yeah. So um, what about you, Zane? Anything going on in your mind right now as we're, we're going back and forth? Any uh, mentors in your life? Any moments like this during the come up that has influenced you to this day? I would say in general, 
the, a running theme you're going to see throughout this conversation is we weren't, we were rarely shown the right thing to do. So we learned a lot of what not to do. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a common refrain. Okay. Um, and the other thing too, to touch on what he said is uh, I think people need to under, people that have success know this in, in all walks of life, but for people that are listening that maybe haven't had a lot of success, you have to be humble enough to know what your weaknesses are and to hire that weakness consistently. Yes. You can't think that you're good at everything because none of us are. But I think also, too, when you're younger, it's really hard to know what you're good at. Uh, it takes time, I feel, to to get that experience. But how do you – what's your advice for, for figuring out what you're not good at? Uh, giving yourself an uh, honest self-appraisal. Yeah. I just don't I, – I don't know. But pe- people don't do that enough. I think Brandon's got something. Oh, oh I, 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 saying hello. I don't know if you guys got that in the background. I, I also think it's just uh, being honest with yourself as far as uh, I, I don't like doing that. I don't like being at the restaurant every day. It's not my thing. And I think a lot of people might cringe at that idea of just admitting that they don't like something in their own job. And then hiring somebody to do that. We have managers and operations managers. So I don't, it's real, man. Yeah, it's I don't, reality. I don't have to be there every day. And, and that, that means more to me. And there's so much that you need to be good at today to be competitive. There's so many variables that come into play, whether you're a, a talent, creative mind in the, the kitchen, or you're just a, a beast that can crank out tickets, or you're somebody who's emotionally and socially intelligent in the front of house, or you're a branding expert, or you're really great at marketing, or you're an, an amazing accountant. Like there's so many hats you have to wear and the likelihood that you're good at wearing all those hats is very slim. So I mean, what is it that you guys like? If, if, if what part of it do you think, what lanes do you think you, you fell into? Uh, well, first and foremost, I, I enjoy the pizza side of it tremendously mm-hmm. and I'd be content with just that. But obviously when we first started, when we first started via three, one, three, um, we, you know, we went back and forth on how to name it, the branding. Um, I'm not much of an operations person. That's not a strong, I mean, I'm interested in it, but I'm not strong at it. I think that's something he's strong at. And I recognize that early on, but I, there was a, I think for all uh, people that are starting businesses, I think they have to keep an open mind about being willing to dabble their toe or stick their toes into, into anything early on. You almost have to be willing to do everything, of course, scrubbing toilets or whatever. You have to be willing to do everything. But like Brandon said, you got to be quick to recognize, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to be stuck doing, I don't want to be stuck cleaning a toilet every day mm-hmm. or you know, whatever it is. Um, so for me, I mean, for, for me, I don't mind doing some of the HR stuff. I don't mind doing payroll. I don't mind overseeing those things. I wouldn't say I'm great at it, but I'm willing mm-hmm. to do it. And more willing than Brandon is. And that's not a knock on him because there's things he's more willing to do than I am. And, but, but early on, I think we, we were fortunate. I, I said this before we started. I think we were really fortunate because we were being honest with ourselves, honest self-appraisals about what we do and don't want to do in the business. And we're having early success. So it allowed us to hire those people to offload some of that stuff really, really early, uh, a lot earlier than a lot of people do. So and we recognize that. I want to get into that part of the conversation, but I don't want to skip over yeah. any of the things that happened maybe earlier in your getting started. So you guys both had some restaurant experience before opening your first place, right? Yeah. For myself, my first three or four jobs were at pizza places. Maybe okay. the first three jobs were at pizza places. 
The first of which I got hired when I was 15 years old. Um, it was a, and it was a great gig. (laughs) These people, they paid me by the hour under the table. Nice. (laughs) I got paid when I turned 16, I started driving. So then I got paid per delivery. So it was like $2 a delivery. And then I got the tips on top of it. So I was walking out of there with like a couple hundred bucks on a, on a busy night, on a, yeah. like as a 16-year-old. And I was being shown how to do everything except for make pizzas. I was doing prep in the back. I was cleaning up, doing dishes. I was doing everything for this small place. And, you know, at the time, I just wanted, I thought I just wanted to drive because that's what I thought. That's where the real money's at, you know, because I had friends that were making minimum wage, you know, working other jobs. And I'm walking around with hundreds of dollars every night, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. So I thought I was on, I I was on top of the world, old. honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I pissed it away, but that's okay. I can relate because that's what I was doing in high school. <laughs> driving? Yeah, delivering pizza. I it was great. I a pizza place. Um, but, but the thing is, when I look back, is I, I gained a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge about a lot of facets of that business besides just driving because he had me doing a lot of different things. So my first two or three jobs were like that. So what was the biggest lesson you learned in, in this early time in your life? I think it – I don't know. I think one of the things I learned, I don't know if it was the biggest thing, but when I, the first thing that comes to mind – is that the owner there, and it was a small operation, he even even at that size of an operation with like seven employees, he wasn't willing to do everything. He would hire certain things out. And I recognize that because I, I had this um, idea that when you run a startup or you're running a business that you have to do everything. I, I had convinced myself that these people were working 100 hours a week. And I saw that that wasn't what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, he had offloaded enough things. So I, I obviously took something from that. Nice. Um, anything early on in your days, Brandon, you want to drop on us? Well, I'm, I'm the, the man of a thousand jobs, so, <laughs> you know, nothing. Up until 2011. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a million different jobs. Uh, managed a bar in Detroit for, that was probably the longest thing, for about okay. four years. And, again, that was, you know. When was this? Just before coming out here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that was the my last day there was my first day here. So. Okay. Uh, and that was, if you can't change your people, change your people. Uh, <laughs> I stayed there for four years as a general manager of, and I learned a lot with, uh, the owners. What were the biggest lessons you learned during this time? You know, we, we kid again about, I don't know if I necessarily learned what to do, but I learned what not to do. Okay. And you know, we were going over P and L's was not a thing that we did. So I, now looking back at that. We're, you know, we work more hands on with our operations people with the P and L so they can actually see the numbers going out. Mm-hmm. That's extremely helpful. Uh, you know, and just, I, I, I just keep everything as simple as possible. We're, we're in the business of making people happy. And I, th- I think if you just make people happy, things fall in place. Awesome. I got to paint the picture. I got this, uh, beautiful, uh, right <laughs> next to me. Um, looking for attention and I love giving to her. It's almost like, it's kind of a uh, therapeutic having a conversation, <laughs> having a dog, the, the pat down. So if you hear a tail whack the back of my chair at any point, if you hear a funny noise, that is just Shiner saying hello. Um, so what not to do. Um, so it seem, seems like there wasn't quite like the, the open book approach that you guys have is one of the things not to do. Yeah. You know, sharing the P and L with, with, not we don't share it with everybody, but we share it with the the two uh, operations managers that we have, and that gives them the the power they need to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Zane, anybody else worth mentioning? Because you were kind of jumped all the way back to the time you were sixteen. Any other mentors or key people in your role to help set you up for opening your own place? Not on the restaurant side. Not on the not restaurant, on the restaurant side. side. But I, I'm like 
Brandon probably had more jobs than I've had. I've, mm-hmm. I've had, I've only, I've only had a few jobs in my life, mm-hmm. but I've, I've been in different careers in my life. So from what did you draw from other parts of your, your life that you're applying today? Hmm. Well, Brandon and I worked together at a movie theater chain in okay. uh, Southeast Michigan for a few years and they ran a really good business. And I don't think we realized at the time how good they were, what they did, but, um, attention to detail, uh, very customer service oriented. Um, and you know, they, they would do inventory. They would do nightly inventories. They would count the cups in the concession stand. And, you know, uh, I don't think anybody ever, it's funny when I look back, I don't think anybody complained about it. That's just, that was your job. Yeah. Right. But when you look back, you're like, man, that was pretty tedious. Did, Every night we did that. Did they ever explain why? Did you, did you know why you had to do it? Oh, it's all about costs, cost yeah. controls. They yeah. were totally in control. Yeah. I love it. And then, yeah, same thing at that, that movie theater. If there was the slightest problem with the film, like if it, uh, the sound went out for a second or maybe the lights kicked on for a second and they hurried up and shut them down. Everybody in that movie got free passes yeah. if it was not perfect. And, you know, that's kind of something we try to do as well. If your pizza's not absolutely perfect, if it took a little bit too long, we're quick to give it to you for free, give you another one to come back, and just always going above and beyond for people. I love it. Awesome. So take us to the point where you guys um, knew that you were going to go into business together. Like, when did the wheels start turning? Who was the first person to pipe up and say, Let's do this thing in Austin. I don't know. I, it, might, it might have been. It, it might have been me. Zane just looked over. No, I, I can't remember who it was. Said, was it me? Was it me? It might have been me. <laughs> what happened was when I moved here in the summer of 2009, and and I just slight backtrack. I had traveled a lot. I had a job where I traveled a lot as a project manager for about five years prior to that. So I was traveling a lot. I've, I hit a lot of cities in the U.S. and also around the world. And uh, trying to find the best pizza in whatever city I went into was the number one thing on my mind. Anytime I eat, not work, it was always pizza. <laughs> you know? And this is, yeah, well, we, we grew up in a house. Another thing, you know, we grew up in a house where we ate a lot of pizza all the time. And our mom raised us and, man, we were eating pizza three, four times a week. And I thought that was normal. <laughs> You know, until I went to like a friend's house for a weekend or something and they wouldn't eat pizza all weekend. And I was shocked. What nights do we eat the pizza? Yeah. So when do you guys eat pizza? And like my buddy Jason's like, well, we, you know, once every other week or something. Yeah. I'm like, holy cow. We eat pizza three or four times a week. You know, he's like, I want to stay at your house, you know, but we were exposed to a lot of uh, mom and pop type uh, Italian restaurants and pizza places growing up in Southeast Michigan. And I think we took that for, well, I took it for granted. And when I started traveling for work years later, I realized how good we had it in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So when I moved here in 09, I tried to find whatever the best pizza was here. And I was, in general, I was disappointed by what I had time and time again. I think it's gotten a lot better just to say in the 10 years or nine years that we've been here. But in 2009, it was kind of a wasteland, I think. Uh, what was acceptable here would not have been acceptable in Detroit. So I saw, you know, what's good business? It's always just filling a market need, right? So I saw the need, and it was something that we we're both passionate about. So I, I think I reached out to him not too long after moving here, and said, "I think we could do something here, but you know, we don't know anybody, we don't have any money, so we'll get into all that." But uh, I think around that time, we start, we were doing um, a pizza blog. We, we actually had the idea to run, of running it because I figured if we were going to visit all these pizza places, I was going to visit all these pizza places here, 
Brandon could do reviews back in Detroit because he was still there. We would just start doing pizza reviews since we were going to these places anyway. So we did that. We weren't particularly hard on anybody. I don't think in hindsight, I think we were fairly friendly, but, um, that, that gave us the ability to see what was really going on in central Texas on the pizza scene. So I don't know. It took us probably about a year. Cause about a year later, Brandon moved here. So by the summer of 2010, Brandon was here. By that point we knew that we were going to try to do a pizza place here. So you started the blog in 2009. Um, yeah, was that so. as a way to, to, uh, document your, your product research or your market research? Yes, essentially? very much so. Okay. Was that the, was that the approach you were taking through the blog or were you, uh, were you just making field notes? Like what was your, your, it was a combination about? of field notes and occasionally we would try to interview people that were in the industry <laughs> and sometimes people would respond and be really thoughtful with their answers. Like our, our buddy, Sean Randazzo in Detroit, he did. Yeah. Home slice too here in Austin. Super nice. Uh, very informative, very helpful. But uh, what were the questions like that you were? were oh, you I wish I could remember. Questions and they would just fill them out and send them back. I, have, I still I have, have it, it somewhere. Uh oh, wait a second. <laughs> Brandon's looking it up. What were you trying to get after with the questions? Lessons learned, what not to do, a lot okay. of. Like, what mistakes did you make? More towards opening a pizza joint or more towards how to make a pizza? Oh, no, it wasn't about anything. We knew how to make pizza. That wasn't a problem. It was more. I you know I I think one of the, one of the running themes you'll see is we lack confidence early on. Instead, we probably still do in certain areas. I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny because when I was setting up, you guys were like almost seemed a little timid, and you're like, I don't know if we, you know, if if we're gonna like be able to stand up against that. So I'm like, you guys need to like. I've been walking around town, and everyone's saying you got to talk to Via three one three. So uh, everyone else seems to. I think that you guys know well, what's going on. Hey, I think we're both grateful that people think that yeah, of us. Know, but I think humility is another great thing to have too. Yes. Um, so I think it go. keeps us going. Yeah. Um, oh, Brandon's got the questions. Yeah, That's yeah. twenty questions. Twenty questions. Oh man, I don't. It's a lot of questions to go through. Yeah. It's pretty on the surface. I'll just read the first couple. Tell us about yourself, your business. Are you on your own? Do you have partners? This, yeah, this is just exactly the kind of stuff that I'd be looking for. So this was um, basically, you're just looking to learn from people in the industry. Yeah. So you started a blog to learn from people in the industry. I did not even know about this. Uh, I'm really excited now because that's exactly <laughs> what the podcast is trying to do. So what did you learn? What were the biggest lessons during this time when you're interviewing people? I, I always felt like after reading people's questions or their answers that like these people are just like us. Mm. It made me it like level the playing field. You really, yeah. And then if you happen to meet somebody, like we ended up going to the Pizza Expo in Las Vegas in 2000, I think that was 2011, went to the Pizza Expo. And we had, uh, I mean, funny story, we had, uh, we didn't have a name for the business yet. So we made, we made something up, had business, fake, well, they were real business cards, but we didn't have a real business at the time. We had business cards made with this pizza place name on it and our phone numbers and an email address. So we were handing them out to people. So you didn't even have like no. anything, but what were you trying to accomplish? Just meet people. Just meet people. That way we could t continue to talk to people and get advice. In Austin? No, this was anywhere in anywhere. the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So at what point? Well, well, I will say, you know, th through that, you talk about some mentors. So there, that's where maybe a pizza mentor comes into play. So we met Tony Gimignani. At the first, he was the keynote speaker in 2011. And we we thought, well, and we didn't know Tony at that time, but I was like, well, what, what better person to meet than the keynote speaker? So we went right up to him, gave him our business card. 
And we, we hit it off, you know, for as much time as he could give to us that day, we hit it off pretty good with him. And a short time later, we went and took one of his pizza classes in San Francisco. And again, it wasn't so much about making pizza. It was more about the business. Yeah. And, uh, we, he remains friends, you know, in a mentor to this day, he's always there for us. That's awesome. Um, so in these interviews, think of one lesson, one thing you drew, uh, from all these experiences, all these encounters that has most impacted you. Oh man, these are the heavy hitting questions. Sorry. That's what I do. <laughs> um, I, again, I, I feel like I'm just repeating myself, but it's just surrounding yourself with people like that, that that's been the best thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's that hard and it's also, you know, it's that easy and it's that hard. Yeah. Right. Um, to, 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 to find the right people that are willing to share their knowledge. Uh, but you got to get out there and you just got to ask, um, let's bring it to the point where you guys get the confidence. You realize you're just like everybody else. Let's do it. Like what was your, what was your plan of action? What, how were you guys going to pull it off? Well, it's tough. That's a, I'm going to give you the shorter version, but you know, the, the goal was always to open a restaurant. It wasn't to open a, a trailer, mm-hmm. but you know, we sat on the business plan for almost a year, a little bit over a year. And, uh, just weren't getting anywhere. Nobody would give us money to get open. We had no money. Um, and I don't know why anybody would give us money. You know, again, I'm a high school dropout. I've had a thousand jobs and <laughs> you're going to trust me with $50,000 tomorrow, you know? Right. So, um, there was a guy, I don't know. I don't want to get into this big, long story, but <laughs> well, we're doing good on time. We're only at a half hour of recording. So okay. We well, all the time in the world, get uh, into that sucker. There was a guy here in town that uh, we had met a couple times, and we thought he was going to invest with us. He decided not to. Then we went almost probably a year without seeing him, met him again, and he said, you guys are still talking about this? Can I swear? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are still talking about this shit? You're not doing anything. I don't, you're wasting my time. You're not doing anything. You have everything. What do so you, knowing what you know now, what was he expecting you to have done? Just do something. Stop. Shut up and do something. Pull the trigger. You know, like even Jump. if it's selling slices on the corner on, on, on a Friday night or just do something. You're, you're not doing anything. Sick of talking about it. <laughs> you know, what, what I always think when I when I think back about that, and I, I think this is true for both of us, is we, we wanted to hit a grand slam like right – like on the first pitch of the game, we wanted to hit a grand slam. There's not a person on base. Yeah. You it's like know, we need oh, to hit man. a nice solid double off the wall or a single or draw a walk or something. We or just need to get some swing. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. right. That's that's what it is. And, and that's and a you, great point that you bring because I say it all the time. People, they have this vision of, what the, of their restaurant and what it's going to look like, right? And then the thing is that vision, you can have that vision, but know that you're not going to have it on day one. Know that you need to start somewhere and scale into that vision. So once you knew that you just had to start, where was your launching point? Where did you want to start? What was what was going through your mind? Well, I mean, the the, the cheapest way to get going was to just open a food trailer. Uh, I think I had $10,000. He had $10,000, and his father-in-law gave us ten thousand dollars i think we opened with thirty thousand dollars and this is 2011 well this probably would have been still 2010 maybe to early 2011 but you got open by 2011 yeah we were open december 2011 i know like the the food trailer like whole like buzz i don't know what 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 it looked like in 2010 was it as popular as as it is now or i think it was more popular than i think it's less popular now than than it's ever been so um why was that the path that you chose? Why did you think that was the best way to go? 
Well, the idea was that we'd be at a bar that had built-in clientele that would have to try the pizza because uh, they're there. And it was the cheapest way to get open. Uh, we figured we'd buy the trailer for 15000 buy an oven for 5000 you know, get this little tiny, you know, electric oven can make eight pizzas every 10 minutes. So what's that process of deciding which bar to set up next to? How does that look? How did you guys, was it just take what you can get or was it being a little bit? We got lucky. It was on, I was out drinking one night on the East side and the Violet crown social club had just opened and it was the new, nicest dive bar on the east side if that's a thing okay and the food trailer was for sale on craigslist i think it was sixteen thousand. it just went out of business and we we just thought that's the that's the perfect spot you know what made this spot perfect in your mind it was at the time i mean it's changed obviously in the last uh, eight years or seven years but it was punk rock it was it reminded us of home it was the bar was cool the vibe was right it just felt like detroit you know, nice. the attitude at the bar too. So, uh, any, any thoughts, Zane, anything that comes to your mind during this time? No, I, th- I feel like, uh, we were really fortunate. I, we would, we probably would have taken a, any number of trailers at any number of bars, but that one seemed right. Okay. So uh, we got, we got really lucky. So what was the first step once you've identified the spot? The first step, once we identified the spot, well, we had to meet with the owners of the violent crown to make sure they were okay with us coming in there and buying that trailer and serving pizza out of it. Okay. That's the first thing. So how does it even work? Like it's that's something I'm not really familiar with. Um, the whole bar and food trailer, like partnership. Do they, does the bar own the trail, the, the property of the trailer? Yeah. Typically they own the, the land. Okay. Sometimes they even own the trailer. In this case they didn't. So you have to buy the trailer and then is there like a, a document that, that you signed. Yeah, it was like a lease, like a standard okay. lease document. Yep. And what what things did you learn about protecting yourself with that document? Certain words you should use or anything like that? Yeah, it was more of a handshake deal. Okay. Honestly, Nothing I can't say that, that we learned a lot then. I respect that. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, it was more like don't don't screw this up. So the meeting went well. <laughs> you know, oh, the meeting went great. Okay. So yeah. well, take us through the process of getting the first pizza served. Oh, geez. Well, we so like like a lot of things that we've done when we were were getting via three went through off the ground, we dragged our feet. We like Brandon was alluding to. We had a, we had a, a pretty. I mean, it took us a long time to formulate a what I what we would consider a proper uh, business plan and a proper financial piece of that. You know, with doing forecasting and performance and all that stuff. Like we we didn't know what we were doing. Again, we had no experience with any of that, and so we tried to ask people for help, and they helped us a little bit. But it was mostly on us to dive in and figure it out. It was the same thing with this. We at some point we had the trailer bought, we had it outfitted, uh, and we have a like Brandon said we have a bank account set up for the business, and we're we're buy, we're outfitting the trailer. We're trying to buy product to get open, and we're watching that dollar amount in the bank account go down every you guys, single you guys had day. Twenty thousand dollars, right? Yeah, but it didn't last long. I mean, right? Did, we, did you get open before running out of money? Well, what happened was. Uh, I think I'm going to try my hand at this. Brandon usually tells the story better than me, but I believe what happened was we were in probably October or November of 2011 watching the bank account drain. And we, again, we're trying to make everything perfect. We've got this vision that we're going to open. It's going to be perfect. The P, everything's got to be perfect. Right. And in reality, we didn't need to do any of that. All we really needed to do was open yeah. and just figure it out. Yeah. 
but so we were we were really moving slow and i think the the general manager at the at the violet crown social club was probably growing impatient with us because he wanted us to serve food to help the bar and he sees that we're not opening as fast as we should and i don't know what he said or i can't remember how he said it but uh maybe brandon remembers this Okay. <laughs> we we did that. We had that catering. There was some guy, I don't even know who he is, some tattoo artist was catering? in town. No, 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 no catering. <laughs> oh, catering. Okay. 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 Like a tat- like a catering so, tattoo artist? Yeah, it was a tattoo artist <laughs> that designed a liquor bottle, and they were throwing a party to Waka, and we had to make like 50 pizzas, and they were going to feed us, they were going to give us $500, which was a ton of money for us. <laughs> and uh, we didn't even have an oven yet in the trailer. But we took the five hundred bucks because we needed the money, and uh, and we got about a week before this catering starts. We had the recipes and everything, but so uh, I don't even know how we met Dan Nelson, but he saved our life. He's a restaurant guy here in town, and he uh, took us to San Antonio, tried, baked some pizzas on an oven, bought it that day, and drove it up here on my truck. <laughs> nice. And uh, and then that night we catered pizzas, and then, and then we only had to make we only ended up making like ten pizzas. Nobody showed up to this stupid <laughs> event, so we made five hundred bucks and ten pizzas. You know, another another piece of uh, a funny little story from that is we didn't even have uh, at that point we once we even had the oven we didn't have the any food reps set up yet. Well, yeah, we'll get to that too. So we, we didn't have any relationship with any food reps, you know, U.S. Foods or, or uh, Cisco. We had none of that. But that week, Benny Keith was doing a food show here in Austin. So we happened to show up there. We just wanted to meet some reps. And you know, like the, like we knew the kind of cheese we were going to use, for instance. So we knew we were going to use uh, Grande mozzarella. So we go there and the Grande reps were there. So we meet Grande. We tell him our story. And he's like, here, we'll just give you a bunch of product. Nice. So Grande gave us a bunch of stuff, and that's that's a bunch of cheese, and that's the cheese that helped us open with, and we didn't pay for that. Nice. So that so, so we're always indebted to Grande for that. Nice. I love it. So uh, after getting the the oven, and from that day on, did you s- serve pizza every night, or was that the the thing that pushed you over the edge, or did you guys still drag your feet a little bit after that? Uh, yeah, we dragged our feet a little bit longer, and then we ended up coming up with an opening date, and then we opened, I think, December 11th or 9th, right or I, I don't remember the day. So what's the lesson here? Just start? I think, I think yeah. that's one of the things I'm like, it's never going to be just right. Just start and react to the point. I mean, you don't want to live your career being reactive, but there's a certain period where you just have to react to what works best and constantly improve every day, yeah? Yeah, I mean, we did the math for me to make, because he wasn't making a salary. I was making 250 a week. $250. $250 a week <laughs> in the pay rent and to buy food and all that stuff. We had figured out we had to do like $200 a day. But you guys were eating a lot of pizza around this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we had to do $200 a day in sales to pay everything. And we, the first night we opened, nobody even knew we were open. We didn't, we didn't know anybody. We did like $212 or something like that, $211. And we were just celebrating because we were like, it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> yeah, this, is exactly this is it. Nobody even knew we were here. We did $200. Nice. And we sold like 20 pizzas and it was, we were celebrating. And the funny thing is we had just opened a food trailer across the street from a pizza food trailer. And, uh, and we didn't have the pizza cutter. We didn't realize we didn't have a pizza cutter. So we had to go across the street to the food trailer and go, I know we just opened a pizza place across the street from your pizza place, but can we borrow your pizza cutter tonight? And, uh, and they were nice enough. Spartan pizza was super nice to us. Oh man, that's hilarious. Um, 
So take us through the the evolution. Um, you, you started serving pizza. What was the uh, the reaction? Was it was it good out of the gates? Uh, did it did business pick up faster? Or did you two hundred dollars the next or four hundred dollars the next night? Like how how did it scale? Well, I don't remember. It, it it didn't take long for things to pick up. I mean, it, it was a little slow moving through December and January, maybe part of February. South by Southwest was in March of two thousand and twelve. And, you know, it's funny when, when we opened the business, we actually had a, a financial plan done for the year and we didn't have, we didn't have any employees on that uh, financial plan. It was just the two of us. We didn't think we need to make a hire. We didn't even think, I mean, we couldn't even grasp the idea that maybe we might do a thousand dollar night and at a thousand dollars is where you need somebody, you know, to wash dishes or something. I mean, I don't know, whatever it was, we didn't even consider that would be an, we didn't think it'd be a thing. So and of course, I mean, we're probably being a little naive because by March, we're doing damn near $1,000 days before South by Southwest uh, starts. So we we had, we made a few hires right then. So I, I guess you could say that things did ramp up pretty quick. I mean, we, I think we're pretty fortunate. Right right place, right time, right product. I, I think that worked. Okay. So, I mean, today, two mobile units, two or three brick and mortars, we got to start talking about how you started you know, now you're, you're crawling, eventually you're walking and then you're jogging. Now you guys are like sprinting. Let's talk about like the evolution, how you scaled it, the things you learned, things, what not to do, what to do. What do you got for us? Well, you know, again, when you're open, when we had the first trailer, we're there every night. He would take a night off every once in a while. I would take a night off, but we're there every night. So everything was perfect all the time. And, you know, because we were, we were very hands-on. Was it just the two of you, or did you have one other person to help out? We ended up having another, like you said, about around March we hired uh, yeah. our first employee, and we got lucky. He was he was a workhorse. Mm-hmm. Uh, he killed it for us. And then uh, when we did the second trailer, which would have been December 2012, so one year, uh, we just put all the money that we had made right back into it. I was still making 250 a week. He wasn't drawing a salary. Uh, so we opened a second trailer down South Austin and thankfully it didn't hit. It was pretty slow out the gate, but what that did was force us to realize like, all right, we need employee manuals. We need recipes that employees have to follow. We need everything. We had nothing because now we can't be at both places at the same time. We can't, I need days off. He need days off. So it being slow, it was good that it was slow because you had the bandwidth to get these things to, in order. Yeah, to, to 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 react basically. Okay. So what was the first step in getting those things in place? And side note, friggin' like good on you for while you're two mobile units, you're thinking about manuals, right? Yeah. Treating your small business like a big business. I mean, yeah. getting it done early and getting that framework built so you can grow into it, mm-hmm. right? Sorry, keep going. Well, I mean, it was everything. It was the just getting the recipes down because we wanted every pizza to look exactly the same every time. So, you know, quickly came up with the recipe. Then, uh, then obviously, we were still training everybody that were came you through. Mixing your own dough in the trailer mm-hmm. too. I mean, we, we had recipes. Yeah, we, we just it wasn't documented. Yeah, yeah, we we had recipes. Just none of it was um documented <clears throat> yeah, yeah. for the for the employees. But you know, we we had. You know, every pizza is weighed, so we, you know, we had food costs already figured out. And we, all this stuff had to keep hitting if we wanted to keep growing. But uh, and then I think it was another year after that, right? 2013, April 2013, 14. So you get a little year and a half. We opened Oak Hill, which is our our first brick and mortar. 
A little bit. Sorry. How did you know you were ready for the brick and mortar? Was the cash flow there? Did you have the people working for you already? Like, how did you know it was time? Yeah, the cash flow was there. We had started getting some higher level people uh, in, in anticipation of doing this brick and mortar. We were hiring people that were probably overqualified to be working in a food trailer. Um, you know, we, we had a bar manager working in a food trailer. We had a GM working in the food trailer. So we parted, we started putting the things into place and Oak Hill was kind of a, a no brainer. I think it was a huge mystery to people in Austin cause we were kind of known as the drunk pizza being on sixth street and being on, we ended up moving that, uh, South Austin one to rainy street, which tripled our sales overnight. So we were known as kind of like the downtown drunk pizza, even though that's not what we wanted to be. We wanted to be the family pizza place. Yeah. So Oak Hill was just brilliant move. That was his idea. I can't take any credit for that one, but what made it a good idea? What was brilliant about Oak Hill? Well, I mean, I, I live close. I mean, we're pretty close to Oak Hill. We're recording at my house. So yeah. we're, we're, you know, we're pretty close to Oak Hill. Uh, How far is that pretty close? I mean, it's, Five minute drive down the street. Two miles. Yeah. Two miles. Okay. Yeah. So you know, I was we were living here. I was living here with my wife and kids, and we're like, man, where do people eat around here? I mean, we you know, Brandon and I had been spending so much time downtown. I had gotten used to all the bars and all the bar, the bars and restaurants downtown. What are people doing around here though? They're not just because people around here. There's a lot of families, so you know, uh, they're not. They don't want to go downtown. It's only a ten minute drive, but they don't want to go down there and deal with the traffic and all that and parking. So it's like we need to get back to being a neighborhood. Uh, the idea was always to be a neighborhood spot, which, you know, brings back memories of, of the kind of pizza places that we would eat at growing up. So how could we create those kind of things here in, in Austin? And it ain't gonna, it's not going to happen downtown. It needs to happen in communities where there's families and little league baseball and T-ball and soccer and all that stuff. So we saw, I, mean, I saw the need that this neighborhood had for that type of establishment. And then it just became about finding the right opportunity to, to do it. Now, I mean, again, it, it looks perfect in hindsight, but we really got lucky because if that location wouldn't have been available, maybe that wouldn't have been our first brick and mortar. Maybe it wouldn't have been out here in Oak Hill. Maybe it would have been in a different part of town. Maybe it would have been Northwest or so something. So was this like a, a gut feeling that you were following or were you, or were you looking at data? Uh, were you doing well, the, I'm not, the we research, were not, getting... We were not looking at data, but I lived down here and I knew that there's a lot of disposable income. There's a lot of dual income with families and there's just not a lot of options. So there's a market need down here and there's still a market need for a lot of things down here. Honestly, we need a coffee shop. So what <laughs> if anybody you, wants to open a coffee shop? What were the, were the challenges opening that first brick and mortar things you wish you knew now? Oh man. I, well, first I would say, thank goodness that I know we both feel this way. Thank goodness we didn't open a brick and mortar is the first thing we did with Via. Having those two trailers taught us a lot. What are the biggest lessons you learned through those trailers? Well, scalability. I mean, like you said, having, having, and don't get me wrong. I mean, Brandon was talking about uh, employee manuals and, and, uh, you know, build sheets and things like that. I mean, those, that's still evolving. You know, it's still, it's still not even to this day. So we had to have those things in place. And we did to a certain extent. I mean, in hindsight, they weren't great, but they were good enough. Mm -hmm. So as far as cash flow goes, um, where were you with cash flow? Did you have so much excess cash flow that you could start putting away to put a good down payment? Here's the bottom line on cash without getting in. I mean, Brandon like skimmed over it. I'll I'll dive in if you you want to talk about money, which we don't mind talking about money. But um, 
Brandon referenced something where we, we both had $10,000 and, and, and my father-in-law helped us out. He was like the only one that believed in us. Uh, it's actually more complicated than that, honestly. I mean, really. So, you know, I'll, I'll mention our mom. So our mom raised us uh, by, you know, by herself, essentially with my grandparents. But she ended up having, she had breast cancer, spread to her brain. She had brain, she had like stage four breast cancer. And she passed away in like 2010, or was it January 2011, 2010. So I had just moved here. Brandon was just about to move here. And we were struggling with the fact that, you know, we're, we're making this big life move to Austin to change our lives. And we're, we're watching her pass away. Mm. Right. Sorry. So it taught us a lot though. Mm -hmm. Right. And she taught, and she, she was inspirational for us because she was like, you guys need to go live your lives. Don't, don't stay in Detroit because of me. Go, go do, go live your life. And I, in some ways we probably needed to hear that, mm-hmm. right? It helped when she passed away. She had, um, a small life insurance policy from a She worked at a casino in Detroit. She had a small life insurance policy and that is the money we used to start the first trailer. The two ten thousand $10,000. That's okay. where that came from. So she well, played a big role in that. Good on you for investing in an asset and not just blowing it. Um, yeah, it would have been easy to blow it, but this this made more sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's how the trailers came to be. And then, like he said, we had two. So what happened was we had financial success at at the first trailer, and we wanted to open a brick and mortar so bad, but we thought, well, we could open another trailer, replicate what we're doing here. We can double we can double our ability to save money for the brick and mortar. And that's essentially what we did. And that was his idea because I, I wasn't so sure about that. Yeah. But, you know, I think typically how we work is if he feels really strongly about something and maybe I don't agree, but I can see he's really serious about it, I'll back off. But I mean, there's a couple of ways and, you can increase your profit. And one of the, the best ways is by keeping your liabilities as low as possible. Absolutely true. So you don't have to go big, just go small. And then that helps keep the, the margins much uh, more lucrative. It's, yeah. Well, yeah, and we we knew if the second trailer didn't work, it cost us twenty thousand dollars to do that second trailer. We could sell it you for twenty thousand dollars, yeah, right? Absolutely, we were never upside down on anything, and, until we opened Oak Hill, and then we owed a bunch of people a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but, so what I when then about Oak Hill? I mean, what we did was we had two financially successful uh, trailers yeah. that were doing well, and we're building a brand, we're building an image. Um, people, people were feeding a lot of people out of two trailers, honestly, in hindsight. And we saved about, I think we saved a hundred K in about a year and a half out of those two trailers okay. to, to open Oak Hill. So now you have experience, you have a track record, right? People can look at what you've built and they say, okay, this seems like more of a, a safer bet. Now that you have a brand, you have a reputation and you have skin in the game money. You can throw down. How much do you need to, to open the brick and mortar? Total. What was it? Three, 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 six, so you're like almost a third there. Yeah. But I still don't feel like people took us very seriously. Uh, I, I would say out of the hundred people, we probably asked 20 took us serious. And those 20 people are, they're doing real well now, that, that investment. Because we, you know, we were lucky that it was all friends and family. It was never like a big dollar person with us in that we've made our friends and family a good sum of money off that investment. So at this point, when you guys open the brick and mortar, is that when the brand really starts to build up momentum or did it not happen until later? I, I think in hindsight, it had a lot of momentum when we opened down here in Oak Hill, and I don't think we realized how much momentum we had. We, we, at least I myself, I didn't think, I didn't realize how serious it was. 
because when we opened that first night and it was not a Friday, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, we opened at 5 p.m. because we didn't have enough staff to have lunch yet. So it was just a dinner only service. And we thought we were going to open and it would be kind of sleepy and we would, it would be just like the trailers. We'd start small and build and we would handle the growth because it's coming incrementally. We, that first night we, we were open. We had a line that was started at our front door and it went down like half the complex. People wow. were waiting to come in. So we, we had a full, we had fully sat the restaurant within five minutes Wow! on our first night. And we look at each other like, ah, what, what have we gotten ourselves into here? Because <laughs> I don't think we were really ready for that. How long did that last? It, it <laughs> well, yeah, it, uh, when we started, when we opened up for uh, lunch that this line stopped, Okay, but, but, but Brandon's right. The momentum has really never stopped. That's incredible. So, um, I mean, there's so many things we can talk about right now. I, mean, I think there's a few things that are just worth kind of like highlighting, summarizing, uh, start small scale into it and let cash flow and, uh, people and just, you know, let those things determine your growth, right? Uh, and the opportunity determine your growth. Um, and also, uh, something that hasn't come up yet, you guys, with the trailers, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you just did the pizza, right? Mm-hmm. You only had the pizza on your menu. So what is the significance of just doing one thing? Not just pizza, but a unique selling proposition, Detroit-style pizza that you can't get anywhere else. I think we haven't put enough emphasis on doing one thing one unique thing really well. Yeah. And to backtrack, just to to answer your question, I'll backtrack though. There was a time when we lacked confidence, even about the pizza, about whether the city of Austin would be open to eating Detroit style pizza. Like I think self doubt creeps in about a a bunch of things like, well, it's really cheesy. It's really thick. It could be a little greasy. Uh, You know, we we use a lot of damn good, right? We use a lot of (laughs) cheese. Will that work? in a city that's supposedly health conscious like Austin. Well, I don't know how health conscious it really is, but it likes to sell itself that way. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's hot. So is that going to work? Is that, you know, this big thick pizza works in Detroit when it's cold. Mm-hmm. Right. So will that work? So we, we were starting to doubt whether we knew people would like it if they would give it a chance. Cause it tastes good. Mm-hmm. So we knew we were using good cheeses, good sauce. We knew people would like it, but would they try it? We were concerned. So we had this idea that maybe we would serve a different kind of pizza. So we, we toyed with the idea of doing Neapolitan. And in 2009, or I'm sorry, 2011, I think there was two places doing Neapolitan in Austin. Now there's a lot. But in there, in 11, it was two. So we're like, well, we can do that. So we learned how to make Neapolitan pizza. And we were going to do that. But then when, at the rest, the first brick and mortar was going to do that. But then when we opened the trailer, obviously that's not doable. So we scaled it right back to just doing Detroit-style pizzas, crossed our fingers and hoped people would buy it and then of course that has that has a lot to do with the name too putting via 313 right you know naming the business assuming that, that's the area code yes okay yeah that's the original area code of detroit so it was like well we got to go full blown into we have to really embrace who we are where we're from and and let that be the story not be fraudulent about anything like this is it but something that is a, a kind of a repeat topic on the show uh, and for good reasons, because it's a good way of doing business. If you can't be number one, then don't do it. If you can't be the best at what you do, then don't do it. And you're not like the point being, again, you're not just pizza, but you're Detroit style pizza. So you're instantly creating a new vertical within a market and you can be number one when you get when you I think there's a lot. It's worth kind of leaning into that a little bit. Brandon wants the mic. Yeah, I mean, I, I would tell anybody right now i i think we're the best pizza 
in in America. That's the what, <laughs> I'm not saying you're not the best pizza in Austin, yeah. by the way. But you know, like, but uh, yeah, but it, that's what we think. That's yeah. what, that's my opinion. You can have your own opinion. <laughs> and but what are you doing if you're if, you know? Somebody said once, I don't even want to say the name, but he asked him what he thought was the best chicken in town, and he said a different business. And he goes, "That's your first failure right there. You're not the best chicken in town, <laughs> and I think we are the best pizza." That's so. awesome. So I guess the the thing that we need to talk about is is how you went from the one location to multiple locations. Um, you even mentioned in a previous email conversation that you try to stick to a nine to five and you try to have real order and structure. How did you get to that point? I think it's worth diving into because you're more the operations person. Yeah. Uh, Zane was saying earlier. Yeah. It was always about if you let the business run you, it will. I mean, it's open from 11 in the morning to 11 at night. There's stuff that goes on overnight. So if you let it, you'll end up working 24 hours a day. So for us, I think it was important to stick to some kind of schedule to have a life outside of the business, have a family. So what does the business need to have in order for you to have those things? It had to have people that knew what they were doing more than, than us. And, you know, hiring general managers and front of the house managers and kitchen managers that operate on the same level that we do. And I think yeah, you talk to a lot of people, they're afraid to let things go, uh, afraid that things will not operate at the level that they operate at. And it won't. And being okay with that, it's pizza. It's not. We're not saving the whales. We're not doctors. It's pizza. So us running at seventy five percent of what we would probably like things to be is still better than acceptable. And being okay with that. Yeah, you know that's that's a a good thing to to bring up. I think a lot of people there's a sense of extremism to be successful, but at the same time, there's. Are, you got to draw a certain line because are you willing to live at that extreme level of commitment? Not to say that you're not committed, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you have to draw a, a reasonable sand a line in the sand early on. So you are forced to do the other things you need to do. Like, like hire the people like build the systems. So you can mm-hmm. have a, an, a sense of balance. Yeah. I mean, if you're working with your head down, you're not working with your head up. <laughs> right. So give me some specific things that you guys did when you, Open the brick and mortar. You mentioned that you hired people that were better than you. you got general managers. You 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 got the, the the bar managers in your restaurant when you were still doing the the trailer. What other things did you do? What decisions did you make? What and things did you invest in to get to the point where you are today, where you are doing the nine to five? Well, uh, we started in hindsight. I think we, if I'm wrong here, to correct me, but I I feel like we. First of all, when we had two trailers, we ran those things like businesses. Mm-hmm. Okay, we we ran it from like, for instance, when we uh, like maybe a day or two before we opened the first trailer, we sat down with a calculator in in all of our cost sheets and figured out what our pizza should cost. So from day one, we ran it like a business. It wasn't a hobby, and I think that's where a lot of people get themselves in trouble is they treat their trailer businesses like it's a hobby. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't. They don't keep the hours that are posted, uh, you know, it's inconsistent food, the food consistency is all over the place. So we knew, we knew that we wanted to, we needed to run it like a business. Right. And that lent itself well to when we got to the point where we were opening the brick and mortar, because we'd already recognized the areas that, well, I recognized the areas Brandon could talk about his own weaknesses, but I, I knew like, 
for instance, I, I was running floor shifts at Ed Oak Hill. And, and I, I can run a floor shift just fine. I'm not particularly good at it, but I can run a floor shift if I have to. We didn't have a choice. It was just the two of us, you know. And, what aren't you good at when it comes to running floor shifts? Uh, my mouth can get me in trouble okay. with, with customers. Although I want to make people happy, I also have the ability to... I, I can be so brutally honest that, it, that this is not the place for it. <laughs> yeah, okay. You, you know, and... I got you. You know, I mean... And it's funny because my mind will be telling me like, oh, I got to, I got to do the right thing. I got to make these, I got to make these people happy. I understand customer service. Yeah. Sometimes it gets the best of me though. though. Right, <laughs> right. Like I get it, but sometimes it doesn't work. Um, and I was like, well, I, I, I can't be working a lot of floor shift. This isn't going to work. Yeah. Well, gonna, like you, we mentioned you know, earlier, you've got to know your lane. You've got to know your strengths and weaknesses. I, I'd, I'd probably be better off in the kitchen than yeah. the front of the house. I'm sure. So, so is it worth swinging the mic to Brandon to find out what his weaknesses are? Yeah. He, oh man, I was just. Can't think of any right now. It's insane. Uh, we'll start with humility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Humble. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, very insane. I, I think I'm pretty good with the customers, but it's it's the staff usually. Uh, I, a lot of people side with the staff over the customer. I see that a lot, and that's not something I have in me. I, I, I in a painfully bad way, always side with the customers mm. more than the staff, and and that's not. I don't think that's good. It's, you should have their back, and, and, and that's something I have a hard time with. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I lack a little bit of a tact. I've got a, a bad mouth, you know. <laughs> so is there anything we haven't um, touched on before? We're at an hour of recording time. Uh, we got to leave room for the speed round. Anything we haven't touched on that you think you could add some more value to the conversation? And it's been a great conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had something super inspirational here, but I always say the same thing. Like we're we're nobodies. We we come from nothing. We don't know. We didn't know what we were doing, and we've just learned along the way. And you know, we have whatever five locations and a bar and a, you know another food trailer, and we're just uh, trying to have fun with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's if you sit around and think about it, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just to kind of come full circle when I asked like what what you do to scale to get to the point where you're at three locations, I think I didn't summarize the 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 takeaways that just treat the first location, the first trailer like a big business and and from day one and then get the framework there so it can support your growth. I think is what I'm getting the, kind of the the moral of today's story and just start right yeah and and never for us, you know I know different people leverage debt and all that stuff, but for us it's it's a combination of things it's a is the money right mm -hmm. you know we're still paying some debt off, so we're not going to do another location until that's paid off now yeah are you guys in or uh connected to nickel city at all I know yeah so what's going on there with I almost forgot to bring that up. So Nickel City is a was a kind of a historic bar. It was the Long Branch Inn for a long time, and us and uh, Craig, who owns a Havelina Bar here in town, Craig Premovich and uh, Travis Tober, who is world famous bartender. Uh, the four of us bought that bar and just uh, tried to just do a neighborhood bar and do some justice, keep the prices cheap. You know, like a bar you'd see in Detroit or Buffalo, and uh, just blew up overnight it's been so, crazy what's cool about being on the road and getting to experience my guests in their restaurants before i get the folks on the show is i get to kind of sit back and take it in and the cool thing about nickel city uh is when i first went in there i was like okay it's clean 
Uh, it's it's definitely a dive bar, but it's also very attention to detail. And it's not a dive bar like 2018 dive bar. It's like a dive bar out of like the 80s. Mm-hmm. It, and there's such attention to detail. Was that something that you were going for? Yeah. Was it like yeah, very much so. And that's okay. that's a collective thing between all all four partners. We it certainly just, wanted that. And and it of course I I'd be remiss to say. It, it's one thing to for the four of us to have that vision, but to actually deliver on it. I mean, that 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 comes from our partners. Yeah, and it's 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 just one of those things where you don't really pick up on it right away. It's so subtle, but like every little thing in there is out of us uh, an era, right? Like the the turn of the 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 what would that be? The eighties or the whatever century, or it, not century, decade. Turn, the turn of the decade. Yeah, that um, that floor looks like it's from like a, a high school, like nineteen fifties or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. So how is that? So what's really interesting too is that you guys came into the city. You know nobody. Um, you've built something. You developed relationships, uh, and those relationships have led to other opportunities. I think, which is something that's worth tapping onto. Yeah, I mean, we we met Craig early on because we were going to do a Via three one three at his bar, and things didn't work. And you know, it's been valuable to keep that that avenue open. So has your success allowed you to invest in other? projects is that kind of how this happened did did they come to you for um support like what was going on uh it depends on who you ask i (laughs) i I feel like the the long branch was something that i wanted to do and uh craig helped facilitate that and then none of us wanted to run the day-to-day and that's what travis does and uh that's how that kind of worked and then travis is really just taking it over. But this it's, is, it's his bar. But that's the way it should be, right? Fi- business partner or business people, not necessarily um, like you and your brother are business partners, but going to other people that are in your community who are doing things who are strong, maybe where you're weak, or who have certain assets, certain skills that they can bring to the table and then finding out how you can all come together and and bring the best of yourselves out, right? Yeah, I think that's scary because there's a lot of egos in the room. How do you circumnavigate those egos? Uh talk it out really i mean because it's still does everybody just ask you to leave yeah I'm, i end up being the mediator between the two of the other ones but yeah, they uh you know the, we all operate differently and we all want we all want the same thing though you know but but look when, we're, when you're having financial success uh you just have to remind everybody like mm-hmm. eyes on the prize right we're all here i mean I find like, I don't know why we, people do this, but I find often these days people don't want to admit like we're in business to make money. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, yes, we want to feed people and it's, it's community oriented, but if we don't, if we're not making money off it, we're not going to do it. You can't survive. I mean, that's, that's it. It's yeah. just being real. Mm-hmm. So when the bar opens and it's doing well, it's doing really well. That's the bottom line, right? We're, are people happy? Are our customers happy? Are we making money? Yes. And yes. So all these little squabbles and everything that come out, I mean, it's just, we just size on the prize. Like we're, we're the, the goal is to be successful and we're having success. So let's not let anything get in the way of that. That's how we feel about via too. Yeah. I, I have to remind the partners that we potentially can be like the golden state warriors. You know, if, <laughs> if everybody just, if you do the rebounding and you, he does the passing Stay in your lanes, everybody right? can win a championship. So what things are you doing actively right now to make sure those lanes get stayed in to make sure everybody knows what the mission is? Everybody stays aligned and is on the same page. What can we do to ensure those things? Well, for us, I mean, it's situational, but for us, it's best to just keep those arguments to the meetings and not day to day on the floor, you know, setting time aside to just sit down and, 
hash out anything, you, any problems you have with someone or some, the way something was handled, you got an hour or two a week for that. And outside of that, stay out of the business. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Anything else you guys want to get out on the table before you go to the speed round? I've loved this conversation. No, thank you. We're no. good. All right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with cashflowtool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. Cashflowtool.com is simple, powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price all right i have a question for you how can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant hmm Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated 40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention good because there's more employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something and i get it but with ethics suites anonymous and web-based restaurantethics.com you can provide a safe secure simple and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard earned reputation and assets go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there (laughs) we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success oh i don't think there's one thing I think it's multiple things. I think it's great food, terrific detail on service and taking care of people at all costs. And I, I also think being in Austin at the right time had a lot to do with that. Yeah. So it is, I, I know it's not it's wanna, probably a one thing. I want to like, compound off that yeah. because when I got the experience to eat at Via 313, the original brick and mortar, um, they found out it was my first time there. And uh, I got a little, a little treat, a little ice cream. Uh, and it's just another example of going the extra mile, right? To, to show your appreciation to do the unexpected. We're very interested in making strong first impressions. And also, I mean, let, let's keep in mind, I mean, we're serving pizza. It's like serving ice cream. It's, it's not hard. Let's make people happy. Yeah. So I, I think making people happy is what's most important right. probably. Yeah. But it's little things like that, right? Um, do you have anything to add, Brandon? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is your biggest weakness? 
Oh, man. For me, probably trying to overexpand too quickly. Again, this is it's good to have a, a partner that's a little more conservative uh, because I, I would want 900 Vias out there right now. Uh, but the way we have grown has been strategic and it's worked out very well. Beautiful. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Oh, again, this gets right back into hiring your weakness. Yeah. So being, being honest with yourself and, or also not just, you know, with yourself, but also in your, the way your team is currently constructed, what are you, what is your current team lacking? And that requires everybody to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we go after that. So. What's, what's your biggest challenge today? Oh, it's always people staffing. I think that's the biggest yeah, challenge. It's, it's always people. I'm really close to just eliminating this question because mm-hmm. it's the same challenge for everything. Yeah. But what is cool about this question is I get to ask, how are you dealing with it? Oh, man. I don't know. We just grind. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe Brandon's got a more thoughtful answer, but we just keep at it. I'll, I'll give you the thoughtful yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, what it does is it changes the way we react, how we we uh, interact with them. Uh, we start adding. It's beneficial for everyone. We end up adding higher pay and, and insurance, and you just keep pushing that that limit on. What was the? I don't know. I'm going to mess this saying up, but. It's, when you used to go work for a job, it was, what could you do for me? Now it's, what can I do for you? Yeah. And and I think that's a healthy point to be in. It sucks to say that, but it's a... It's that's the way it should be. And I think it, it, that mentality that if we open a business, uh, capitalism, our job is to create other opportunities yeah. for people. It's it's healthy. Yeah. Um, it, it's that almost that altruistic approach to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Right, where we're here to, to do good, to, to serve others to solve a problem, to be of value. Yeah. Uh, and when you, when you have that mentality, I think you just go much further. Mm-hmm. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act, a core value. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I always just, the truth will set you free. Uh, I, I like when our staff is just brutally honest with the customer. Like, We've burnt your pizza. I'm sorry. It'll be out in 15 minutes. Yeah, never lie. Yeah, it's it, just, it, you can smell bullshit from a yeah. mile away. And it, it's going to be a bad experience regardless. Mm-hmm. It will be a worse experience if they can see through your bullshit and know you're yeah. lying. Yeah, I like that. We even take it a step further. If the pizza is less than perfect and we catch it, that I mean, not, not saying that everything that we do is perfect, but if we happen to catch something that is less than perfect before it's a table, yeah, we've been we've do things like, well, you know, we, we overcooked it by a minute. We'll bring you this one. But we'll make you a new one as well. To bring home. or Yeah. yeah and pe- people love that. If you guys get one that's completely just like well done and they don't want it, you can call me because that's how I like my pizza. <laughs> uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Bring ice cream to the guests but if it's their first <laughs> yeah, time. <laughs> I guess the uncommon thing is we do the first timers thing. We. Yeah. We, we ask you and you sit down if you've ever been there before. And what, and what that does is allow us to, one, go into our whole thing, what we're about, what we're trying to do. It is just two brothers from Detroit. It's not this huge chain. And, and then it allows the manager to stop by and say hello, introduce themselves. And then hopefully, it's not always ice cream. It's just whatever at their discretion. Give you a little gift to thank you for coming in and, and hopefully leave you 
another another book raving fans you know just i dig it yeah it's been huge for our growth as people just talking about it yeah so you know this question's coming but we'll we'll ask it again what's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator there's so many that and i haven't read a, you know all of them but there's a i mean uh, man uh i like think and grow rich that's old school it's probably 100 years old now right it was so, 1940 no, oh okay published i think i i love that um we both read that when we were young too, like he mentioned earlier. I read it because of him, actually. So, so th- we thankful th- for that. Um, I, I also I also like Richest Man of Babylon's awesome. I like uh, any Carnegie books. Yeah, I think the Carnegie books are super inspirational. So, uh, real quick on the Think and Grow Rich, um, I think you mentioned earlier one of the big lessons was just to be good. But what's one nugget that you can draw from that book that you apply to your life to this day, aside from just being good? Uh, well, honestly, it's been so long since I've read that book, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. But, you know, one of the things, well, I grew up super punk rock. Like, okay. I was too cool for everything. And being your friend was not a priority when I was a kid. And those books, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People yeah, and all that stuff, just really opened my eyes up to, not everybody's out to get you, man. Mm-hmm. You know, people, there's everybody needs friends. Everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody... 99% of people are pretty good people. It's, it's that 1% that messes it up for everyone. <laughs> good stuff. So <laughs> what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? You know, we invested in some restaurants. And one thing that we've learned spending more time with other restaurant people is that uh, like price shopping on things that are important, like lawyers and and accountants and bookkeepers you know talking to someone it's like hey i don't want to pay that fifteen hundred dollars a month for an accountant but they're not getting their monthly p and l's to actually do you know they probably could save them ten thousand dollars a month so it's amazing to me how people price shop on things that are going to come back to you pretty important yeah Yeah, exactly um okay Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a big impact on operations, efficiency, communication, profitability, things of that nature. Uh, so I, I, what I would think is, I think that when we opened Oak Hill, we had um, kind of an out-of-date out of POS system, and we realized really quickly that it wasn't going to suit our needs. So shame on us for not re- you know, doing that before we plunked down the money, but we, we also realized it pretty quick, and we, we shifted gears and moved over to Toast. Um. And toast fit our needs more uh, with reports. So it sounds like I'm doing a like sales job here. No, but uh, but this is good because there's but, so many options out there, and that's one of the reasons why this the ability to look this. at the reports from anywhere we're at. And I know other companies have adopted this since, but at the time they were one of the only ones doing this. And then we also added handhelds at uh, at table at table side, so servers come to the table, they can fire things right from the spot. And for us, when you got an 80 seat restaurant. Um, we want to, I mean, we want people to relax and have a good time, but we also want to get their food quick. We need to turn tables quicker because it's a small operation. It also reduces mistakes having that, uh, that, that table side ordering, because when you have to transfer, when you have to transfer the order from either your mind or a piece of paper, that's just one Mm -hmm. hoop, one more hoop, one more step in the process of getting the ticket to the kitchen where you can get that straight into the POS you don't have to wait in line and wait for the, the POS to open to enter tickets. It's just way more efficient, way more streamlined. Uh, and like you said, there's also the data, which, which, what data are you leveraging the most? 
Well, I mean, just the normal stuff, labor, food costs, trying to, you know, PPAs. I mean, we're just all the other hot button words. We're not really <laughs> reinventing anything. So this is the last question. Are you guys ready for it? If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success that you can leave behind for your legacy or for the good of the humanity. They're both passing the mic, the mic back and forth right now. This is I get the eye rolls with this question. Uh, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? I mean, oh, man. Obviously, do what makes you happy. That's one. Do what makes you happy. Uh, can I say that three times? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man! I start to I, throw in answers. Yeah, don't don't while. sweat the small things. I mean, again, people get so stressed out about this business, and you know, there's bigger problems. Do what makes you happy. Don't sweat the small things. Throw one more at me. This one and uh, you got it. Yeah, just be. I don't know. You got something? Just <laughs> if you're fortunate, you know, just give back to the community. I and mean, we're yeah. so we're so lucky that. The community supports us, and, and we just try to uh, help out any way we can in the community. Beautiful. This has been a great conversation. I wrap up every chat by having my guests call somebody out. That's how I keep the content coming. So who is in Austin? Who is somebody that you guys admire and think he's doing it really well? Somebody who, who we can all learn from on the show. I mean, for me, Mike Ripka owns Torchies. He's been an inspiration for us. Uh, he started, what, maybe a year before us. And he's already a two hundred and fifty million dollar company. Jeez! And he's going to be inside of. He thinks he's going to be a billion in the next five years. So he's good on him. True inspiration for us. Uh, just killing it. Mike Ripka, look out! And uh, do you have anybody else you want to add to that, Zane? No, I completely agree. That's the only person. I mean, maybe uh, the folks that started Chewies, maybe something like that. Okay. But, but you know, Mike's more in it day to day right now. So I think that's a good choice. All right, Mike, look out. I'm coming after you. Uh, and let the folks at home know if we want to follow you online or reach out or maybe join your team. Or we have some questions uh, like you were so uh, notorious for early in your career, reaching out to restaurant owners, asking questions. How can we connect? Uh, well, with, from the business itself. So via three, via 313.com has um, uh, questions or info, information uh, spot there. Page, yeah, right? contact page. You could hit us up on that. And what about social media? Any handles you want to drop on me? No, you don't need to follow me. I mean, you should <laughs> you should follow Delray Cafe because it's hilarious. Okay. But if you're easily offended, don't do it. All right, I'll throw the, the handle for Delray Cafe in there. It's, and uh, it's the handle for fun. V13 and the, I'll have the website contact page in the show notes. This is episode 500 and. 60? Yeah, episode 560. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 560. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as a link on how to connect with these gentlemen and the links to the tools and services recommended. Brandon, Zane, there's no questioning. You guys are unstoppable. Thank you for your time, man. Thank you. Cheers. Appreciate it. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Some great lessons in today's conversation. For example, if you can't change your people, change your people. I love that. You know, 
you got to surround yourself with the people who are going to help make your vision come true, a certain type of person. And if they're not aligned with the values you have, you got to change them. They will hold you back. Surround yourself with the right people. I also love this idea of knowing your lane, knowing your strengths, knowing what you love, and then finding and hiring for people who are the opposite of you, people who will complete you. They clearly get that. And another thing that they clearly get, which comes up all the time on the show, get out there and ask questions. Find successful people in your community and learn from them. It's amazing how how generous these people are. And one of the reasons why they are successful is because of that generosity. So capitalize on it. And then one other thing that we didn't really get to into today in this conversation, but it's something that I'm really interested about or interested in, and that is this trend that I see with successful restaurateurs when they know their lane and they know what they're good at and what they're what they're doing is they're finding other business owners, other people who are who are as passionate as they are, but have different strengths. And they go into business. They they collaborate on projects with these people because they're at that same level. They they have the same values and they complete each other. And you saw it in Richmond, and I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see it here in Austin with some business owners. I'm sure we'll we'll pull back the layers on that as I go and my network expands here in Austin. But it's some really interesting stuff. All right, guys. Now's the time I tell you to please reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me who I need to make an example of. Or if there's a topic you want me to go deeper in, I might not have the answers, but I know somebody who does. I'll get them on the show. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I'm also on Google Play now. Uh, Spotify and soon to be Pandora. So if those are your jams, you can find me over there. And honestly, I love those reviews because it keeps me going. It's the fire. It's the, it's the, the air to my fire, the oxygen to my fire. It keeps me going strong. It keeps me pumped up. It keeps me, you know, just motivated to get this content. So keep those reviews coming. And lastly, the best way to support this podcast is by sharing it. Uh, let's, Let's create a movement of sharing knowledge so we can empower and transform this industry and uh, really just make the world a better place. And if it's going to happen, it's a matter of us doing it. And that happens from communicating, sharing knowledge, and lifting each other up. So let's spread the word about this sucker. All right, guys. That's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.